It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. Pastor is good at bringing the fire, so I don't have the fire, so I'm going to bring the teaching, okay? Well, we'll let Pastor handle the big stuff. So we're going to talk this morning, and I want you all to pay attention and focus on what it means to fly in an airplane. I know it's weird. We talk about this in men's group. Uh, the Lord downloaded a new series for me in my brain. It's called Taking Off and Landing. And I want you to keep your mind on the terminal, the airplane, the runway, and what it means to be airborne. And then I want you to think about landing, okay? So I want you, we've all flown, and I want your mind to be at the airport, even though we hate being there. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about is pre-flight. And when you, when you think about pre-flight, you always wonder, well, what are they doing in there? What are they sitting in the airplane for? Why are we sitting here so long, you know, connected to the airport? And, and <laughs> so and one of the most important things to check before pre-flight is what? Your fuel, right? Because if you're getting on an airplane, you you're not going to get very far unless you know how much fuel you got if you don't have enough fuel to get where you're going. So you got to check your fuel. And when you think about the airplane having to have fuel to go where it's going, as Christians, as men and women of God, we have to have fuel to get us where we're going. So what kind of fuel do we work off of? God's Word. Last night, we, Daryl and I were working off of monsters. I think we had about two each. We were tired. And, but as men and women as, and Christians, we, our fuel is the Word of God. And we have to take that time. We have to put in the work to study and to get ready for and to fill ourselves with the fuel. Amen? The Bible says in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, turn to your Bibles, 1 Peter 3.15. So it's important that you get full of the Word of God. And not the word of the world. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And the reason I picked that scripture about being ready to give a defense for what you believe and to defend the word of God is because if you're at that level to where you're able to defend the Word of God, then that means you got the Word of God in you. Because you can't defend what you don't know about. And you can't use a weapon that you don't know how to use. So you've got to use it. You've got to apply it. Not, you don't just hear what the Word says. You've got to apply it to you. you got to make The plane has to be full of fuel. We have to be f full of God's Word. And the question I asked the men in men's group, what are you full of? Amen? And we'll keep it clean, because we're in big church, you know. Sunday school is a little different, but what are you full of? Are you full of the Word of God, or are you full of the world? And a good, a good, a good, uh, a good reflector to figure out what you're full of is when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Do you bless them, or do you curse them? Or when you're in Walmart, you know, it's income tax time. I was telling the guys, if you want to learn patience, go to Walmart right now. At 9 o'clock at night, everybody's getting their income tax and getting the, in the line. You'll learn patience. <clears throat> the other thing uh, the pilots are doing when they're sitting in this airplane and they're getting ready to, you know, depart, to, uh, detach from the, the terminal is they have to make sure that everybody that's on board is on board. They always have a last-minute call call in so-and-so, Tim Olaf, your flight's about to take off, where are you at, or whatever it is, and as Christians, when you think about that concept, we have to know who's flying with us, because one of the most important things that we learn in our walk with God is that not everybody who is with you is for you, okay, not everybody who is on your airplane has the same vision that you have, that's why people get dropped off at different airports, so wherever you're going, everybody's not meant to go there. So you got to make sure you know who's on your plane. You also got to make sure you know wh what's on your plane. 
And it's important to know that. And the reason, because Jesus sent, it's important to know who's with you because Jesus sent the disciples out, how? Two by two. And there was a reason he sent them out two by two. And not one by one. <laughs> because there was accountability. And one thing, if one of them died, they'd have somebody else to come tell the story how they got died. But the other reason was for accountability. Do you know who your accountability partner is? And if you don't have one, I'm going to ask you, why don't you have one? Because at this day and age, with everything that we got going on in this world, with social media, things happening all over the place, we have to be accountable. We have to know who's with us. We have to know who God has joined us together. And yes, we are joined when we get married. Our souls, our spirits become one. Me and my wife, we have one spirit. But we also have partners. We also have a road dogs, if, if y'all will, okay? Uh, soldiers, fellow warriors. <laughs> okay, let me, let me put it this way. Let me put it in, in my terms. We also have to have somebody that grew up on the same side of the tracks as we did, okay? Does that make better sense? Like Daryl. Daryl is my two-by-two. Two. He's my other half. Yeah, praise God for Daryl. Come on. So I know, and it's important to know who your accountability partner is because you have to know that when you're weak, they're strong. Just like your marriage. It's, your marriage isn't 50-50. Your marriage is 100%, 100%. If you each give 100%, when the other one's lacking, you're still at 100%. And the same with your accountability. You've got to know who's with you. Matthew 18, 20. Um, and Luke... Luke 10, 1, turn to your Bibles, to Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And also... Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And the other part of why God sent us out two by two is so that you and your partner, your, um, your road dog, your, your disciple that's with you, y'all can agree on touching any one thing, and what is done here on earth will have to be done, done in heaven will be done here on earth. And that's why we have accountability partners. And if you don't know your accountability partner, maybe you should just you know, Facebook it. Somebody will, will like it, and then you can say, hey, let's be friends, right? Because that's how we judge our, our social status and where we are in life is how many likes we get. Except for Eric, my, my brother. He doesn't have Facebook, and sometimes I envy that. Yes, sometimes I envy that. And I get when I want to get a hold of Eric, I have to call the president of the United States <laughs> because my brother over here, and I love him with all my heart. He's, my, he's the other half of my two-by-two. You can say I got half and half, which equals one, so we really we got three, but it is what it is. But I envy that sometimes. And the other thing we have to know, the pilot knows, whenever he goes and he gets on the airplane, no pilot gets on a plane without first knowing where he's going. So do you know where you're going? Do you know the path that God has set out before you? What are you doing to, to not help God find that, but what are you doing to find your way? And, you know, there's, Daryl and I talked about this the other day, about waiting on the Lord. There's two types of waits. You know, the Bible says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Okay? What kind of wait are you doing? There's the type of wait where you're sitting at home eating bonbons and watching Married with Children. Okay? <laughs> And looking in the crowd, that's probably, okay, I'm not even going to go there. We're eating bonbons and watching Married with Children. The other type of wait is like a server at a restaurant where they're waiting on the table. And the point is, how are you waiting on the Lord? Are you serving while you're waiting? Or are you waiting to be served? Amen. Are you serving while you're waiting? Or are you waiting to be served? Because if you're waiting to be served, you're going to be waiting a long time. 
but you have to know, the pilot has to know where we're going, and we have to know where we're going. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that's the path that God is sending us on, giving us a future and a hope. One of the things that, um, as, as Christians, we always are scared to go where God is calling us to go. Some of us are, are real bold and ready to just rush out and jump right in. You know, some of us are real timid and just insecure. But one thing for sure that God will never send you to a place that he didn't already prepare you for. It's in you. The reason I, I grew up, the, the lifestyle that I had when I was growing up and, and being poor and, and just, you know, going without electricity for months at a time. That, the only food I would get is if I went to school and got my free lunch. And the weekends, it was kind of fend for yourself. And we would sit around like vultures around the table waiting for somebody not to finish their food so we could finish it. And it's real business. And people still live like that today. But that was, God didn't make that happen. But that was the circumstances, the path that I was on. And I don't want you to ever think that God will take you to a place to teach you a lesson because God doesn't do bad things to good people. But he will allow things to come into your life. And even though we may not know the path that God has set for us, he's already in preparation. And you think back to, you read the story about Jonah in the well. When we open uh, the book of Jonah and we start reading about Jonah, we read about the worm, we, we read about the wind, and we read about the whale, the giant fish. But what we don't realize is that that whale was created many, many years before Jonah was. See, while we're still having our trouble and our moment here while we're trying to figure out what's going on with our life God has already set in motion where we're going he's already set things in our path to get us straight amen and the other thing I don't want to get too far in Jonah but don't despise the little things you see it was the worm that came in and ate up the bush that got Jonah off his blessed assurance and reluctantly he went to Nineveh and asked him and, and made him repent told him to repent and it just abruptly ends. The book of Jonah just ends with, why did you do that, Lord? You know, he was bitter to the very end. And as we figure out where we're going, we're, we're full, the plane is full of fuel. We know who's riding with us. We have to have, the other thing we have to have is a direct line of communication with the flight tower. So one thing about a flight, when you get ready to take off, is from the time the pilot sits in that seat to the time they land, they're in direct communication with the flight tower. Okay, so who are you in communication with this morning? Who are you talking to more? Are you talking to uh, Facebook? Because, I mean, it is what it is, you know. Who are you talking to, Instagram? Snapchat, oh, that's a new one, right? Or am I already old, is that an old app? Who do you spend time with in the morning when you wake up? Randy Travis, not a bad choice. I always listen to my friends drive low riders. Gets me going. Okay, I'm just kidding. That was supposed to be funny. As Christians, we have to have a constant line of communication with God. And no matter what's going on, no matter who's flying with us, no matter who's not with us, we have to know who, is, who we're communicating with. So how do you communicate with the flight tower? How do you communicate with God? How much time do you spend in prayer versus how much time you spend watching television? How much time do you spend studying God's Word versus how much time do you spend doing extracurricular activities? See, we, got, we, we get it messed up. We get it confused sometimes that we think that busyness is godliness. We think that the more busy we are, the more God approves of us. But one thing that God didn't call you to do was to be busy. He called you to be effective. And you can't be effective if you got your hand in six different ministries. I don't know that this is scriptural, but my belief, if you're involved with more than two full-time ministries, you're doing too much. And one of those full-time ministries needs to be your family. Your family will always be your first ministry. 
to the day you die. And men, if you're not the leader of your household, it was time to step up. Because the women weren't supposed to be carrying this burden. They weren't supposed to be carrying this load. Yeah, amen. And it's a process. And that doesn't mean that they don't have a say. Remember, you're one spirit. When you got married, you and your wife became one. And you have to know, you have to communicate with God. If he speaks to you, can you hear him? Can you hear God when he speaks to you? And when he, do you know his voice? Because Jesus says, I know my people, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. And one of the things I think about is Elijah, when, whenever he was, <clears throat> whenever Elijah was, uh, God sent him up to the mountain. He was running from Jezebel. Jezebel. He just called fire down from heaven, consumed all the prophets of Baal, did these um, amazing miracles, and then he just caused it to rain after a drought for three years. And God sent him off. Jezebel said, if I don't do to you what you did to the prophets of Baal by the end of the night, God, your God do so to me. And Elijah got scared, and he ran, this mighty man of God. And he went and hid, and God sent him up to this cave in the mountain. And here comes the, this mighty wind, just blowing, just blowing. And the Bible says God wasn't in the wind. And here comes this loud, cracking thunder, just unbelievable thunder. And the Bible says God wasn't in the thunder. And then here comes this lightning, just crack, this lightning and flashing all around him. And, and the Bible says it wasn't in the lightning. But what it says was, then a still, small voice came and spoke to Elijah and said, Elijah, what are you doing? And he does what we all do. I'm a, it's all me, Lord. I'm the only one. Amen. I'm the only one who cares about the praise team. I'm the only one who cares about the men's group. I'm the only one who cares about the bus ministry. Come on. Am I the only one that says stuff like that? Oh, uh, come on. Because uh, I still have the same spirit that Elijah did, and I'll call fire down from heaven. Y'all want to test it? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't want nobody to burn today. I don't like the smell of flesh. The still, small voice. Can you hear the still, small voice? Can you hear the still, small voice? And God said, Elijah, stand up. Quit whining. I've got 7,000 prophets that have not been defiled by Baal. Amen. So, first of all, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. The other thing, um, when you're when you're on the at the terminal, and you're the plane, there's a point where the plane they lock the doors and they pull away from the airport. Okay, y'all follow me? Y'all got that visual? The doors are locked. Everybody that's on board the plane is going to be there. No, they don't normally reattach to let people off. And whoever's flying with you, whoever's with you, that's who's going with you on this journey. Now, it changes every airport you get to. You drop people off and pick people up. And there's a separation that occurs because as long as the airplane is connected to the terminal, it can't do what it was created to do, which is to what? Fly. Have you ever seen an airplane flying with the terminal hanging off the side? No. It's not what it, it can't do what it's created to as long as it's connected. So what it has to be, it has to be free of what's holding it down. So what are you connected to that you need to be freed from this morning that is holding you down, that is holding you back? Amen. So I have a two-part question, then I'll give you a two-part answer. Well, as Christians, the same principle applies, okay? We have to separate ourselves from whatever it is that we're connected to okay we have to get to a place of separation we have to get alone with god whatever we're connected to is it, are you connected to lust are you connected to pornography are you connected to whatever alcohol what are you connected to that is causing that you need to separate from to get closer to god because what separates us from god sin it's a three-letter word which encompasses a whole lot of things, okay? And don't look at somebody else's sin and judge them different than yours. And when, speaking of, we had uh, the women's encounter, they had a set of scales on the, on the table, and it made me think of 
the scripture about the Lord hates un, detests unjust scales. And when I think about the unjust scales, just get off topic real quick, is I find it so amazing how we'll look at our daughter or son through one set of scales, but when our pastor or somebody else's daughter or son does something, we use another set of scales. And that's what the Lord's referring to, is we're so quick to judge somebody else for the same sins that our family's doing. And we need to get away from that. Because as long as that's going on, as long as we're fighting those battles, we're never going to be united. We're never going to be in one accord. We're never going to even get on the runway to take off to where we need to go. What are you connected to? What do you need to separate from? And to be honest, there's been times where I needed to separate myself from myself. Yeah, because I get like Elijah. I get all up in my feelings. Well, I'm the only one. Here we go. I'm the only one, Lord. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Separation is necessary because when you separate yourself from something, you set yourself apart. When you say, one of the things I used to hand out is these uh, pamphlets that I used to write. I used to write them. Pastor Bob used to type them up and print them and put all the graphics on them, and I used to carry them to work. They were uh, two-page flyers. You remember those, Em? And I used to pass them out before the Christian starter kit came to birth. And it was just little newsletters, and I'd do one a month. And I'd give them to guys. I'd find them in the trash can. I'd find them on the floor. I'd find pictures of gross things drawn on them. It's okay, because God says his word will never return void. So every one of those was a seed planted somewhere. And so you got to set yourself apart. And, and when I did that, what I noticed was when I said, you know what, I'm going to start living for Christ and I'm going to set my stuff apart, I noticed that people would just watch me. They weren't mad at me. They weren't angry at me. But what they were looking for was a, a reason to say, well, your God ain't real. How can you be a Christian and talk like this as if cussing is the, the, all of a sudden becomes a cardinal sin when you say you're a Christian? You know what I'm saying? You're not allowed to cuss no more because it's unholy. It's a filthy talk. But we do it, and, they, and all eyes on you, and people start judging you. And, but anyway, you set yourself apart, and when you set yourself apart, you have to spend time with the one who has told you to be set apart. You can't set yourself apart and say, you know what? I'm going to be a better Christian, and I'm going to go read all these books over here written by Oprah Winfrey. That does, that's not going to help you, if you're, unless you're going to set yourself apart for that. But we're Christians. We were called to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be holy. And I asked the men this morning, if somebody came and asked you, what is your purpose? What is your purpose in life as a Christian? What would you tell them? To know God and to make him known. That's it. Yes, that's it. Thank you, Tawana. To know God and to make him known. If you can do that, you don't have to be... uh, top-notch preacher like our pastor, which you'll never get more powerful doctrine and word of God than what our pastor brings, I promise you. That is a learned man. He has got a photographic memory, and he knows the word better than anybody I've ever talked to or saw on TV. And you have to set yourself apart, and pastor sets himself apart. So, and the other thing that you have to set yourself apart is be careful that you don't get prideful. Be careful that you don't get boastful when you earn a title. Because I know people who are so connected to having a title, they ain't no good for the kingdom. Mark 10, 43 through 44 says, whoever desires to be great among you needs to be servant. And Luke 14, 11 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's important. And Pastor mentioned it last week, and I uh, talked about it in men's group this morning. You, you look at Peter. Jesus just come up to him and come here, Daryl. Jesus come up to Peter and he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Right? And then two verses later, Peter's telling the guy that created him, rebuking him. And it's that quick, he got prideful from a little bit of authority. And I say the thing that I, the, I don't worry about titles. The only titles I'm concerned about is when my wife calls me husband, 
and my children call me daddy. Anything else doesn't matter because we're all servants, no matter how you want to look at it. And somebody asked me this morning, are you tired? And I said, soldiers don't get tired. Whether you're in here scrubbing the floor, washing dishes at the women's conference, or you're behind the pulpit bringing the word, you're a warrior for God, you don't get tired. Your eyes may rest, but you're at constant battle. You're in constant battle. So we got to be separate ourselves from that. What good is having a title if you ain't got no followers? I mean, you can stand up there and beat on your chest and say, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. But who are you in charge of if nobody's listening to you? You, yourself, and you. <laughs> Amen. And yes, we do have followers. Somebody told me that, you know, every, we, we're not supposed to have followers. Only Christ is supposed to have followers. But in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Amen. And then again, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he, Jesus says, Go therefore into all the world, making disciples of every nation, of every and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So you're making disciples. And it's, it's hard to imitate somebody if you're not following them. It's hard to make disciples if they're not following you. Amen. And no, they don't, they don't follow us, but we are an example. Because when I first became a Christian, looking at where Charlie was, and Pastor and Dwayne, looking at where their walk was, that was way beyond my reach. I need to come down a little lower like where Wade was. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding, Wade. I'm just kidding. I love you, Wade. You know what I'm saying? So it's hard to see sometimes as new believers that are unchurched, that have ne never had nothing to do with God or Christ, it's hard to see, to get up to that level of, wow, man, how do these guys do that? So you got to, in a sense, set your standards a little bit lower. And that's where discipleship comes in. See, it's not just the part about going and get out in the world and bringing people into the kingdom, bringing people into the church. This building isn't nothing but a meeting place. And without Christ, it's just a community center. The, the, the church is the people that's in here. So once we go out and once we win disciples and get people out on the street and we bring them in here, it's not one and done. We have the obligation and the authority that we disciple them and we train them and we teach them and they watch and learn everything that we do and that's why it's important that we don't run around the church backbiting and talk about sister short skirts or big mouth bob you know what i'm saying not you bob and and we don't talk bad and we don't gossip because the new people hear that and that that is the norm that they they, they learn this is what they say oh well, oh it's okay well, I don't like this person because they said so-and-so. And, -so. and we, we want them to get away from that. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, sep separate yourself away from the world. Just like the plane separates from the terminal, you and I as Christians, we have to separate from the world. We have to set ourselves apart. We have to be sanctified. We have to carry ourselves in a way that when people see us, that our good works will cause them to want to come to Christ. Separation also, when, at the same time, in the same process, as you're separating from the world, it's a two-part separation. Because if you're going from the world, you're going separating unto Christ. You get rid of the old, and you, you go into the new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, my favorite scripture. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus... He's the new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. So when you separate from the old life, you have to walk into the newness. Now, you can go back and pick up the old life. Everybody asks me, how come, you know, when you get saved, you still have the desires? Or when God delivers you from something, how do you go back and, and still have the same habits? It's because we go back to the cross, and we take the nail that nailed our habits on the cross, and we pull it out, and we put it back in our pocket. The pastor used the illustration about smoking. He'd throw a pack of cigarettes out, and he'd stop at the next store and buy another pack. He was delivered from it, but he went back to it. Sometimes as Christians in our walk, when God delivers us from things, it's a process. We can't always expect 
that we're just going to be 100%. It didn't take you 100%. It took you 100% to get there, to get addicted, to get to that point. It's going to take some time. And, and, like, and if every time I had a problem or an addiction and I said, heal me, Jesus, and he healed me like that, I wouldn't know what it means to fight. Sometimes we have to go through some things. Sometimes you have to go through some things to make your walk what it is. Amen? Yeah, praise God for that. <clears throat> praise God for that. Um, but separation means, the other part of that separation is separating under God. Moses, he was alone with God. He was separated. And he was up on the mountain when he got the Ten, Command, the Ten Commandments. Amen? Jesus was separated when he told Peter, James, and John, when they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, hey, y'all stay right here. I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to go pray to the Father, and I'm going to get instruction. We have to do the same thing. You have to respect your marriage and, the, and, and your home, but as men and women, there has to be a time of intimate privacy between you and God, and only you and God. If it's so important that Jesus did it, I think that should be an example that we do the same thing. The separation is a process. Going from one to the other. You can call it a journey if you want. You may not be 100% separated when you start, but if you keep doing what you were doing, keep putting more of the word, more of the light in you, and getting more and more of the word out, then that separation will take place. And I'm going to say this like I, I said in men's group. Separation is preparation. Separation is preparation. Y'all probably see I put all of my study stuff on Facebook. I don't know who reads them. I don't ever get any likes. But it's okay because that doesn't define me. <laughs> okay? It doesn't matter. I send messages out every week to about 100 guys. And usually Brent's the only one that responds. Thank you, Brent. I love your encouragement, brother. He does. And he gets it three times. On our special pages, he gets it by phone and text, but it's all good. I am who I am. Uh, separation is preparation. When you're separated from the world, then you're preparing for something. Amen? You're getting ready for the war. You're getting ready for the battle. You don't prepare for the battle during the battle. Amen? You prepare for the battle before the battle starts so that during the fight, you can focus on the fight and not the preparation. You know what I'm saying? How, how good do you think sports would be if the coaches said, hey, y'all go out on the field and figure it out? I mean, who would even watch it? As, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't. It's kind of silly. So when we separate ourselves, we're preparing ourselves so that when the, the battle comes, we're ready. And we're not running around scrambling, trying to figure out who's doing what, who's leading praise and worship, who's going to fill in for pastor if he gets sick. We're prepared. Like Daryl says, and I told him in men's group this morning, I thought it was funny, y'all may not. My next tattoo is going to be a paragraph on my stomach that says, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. And I got the place for it, okay? If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. And like they learned in TBI. I didn't get to go to TBI, I went to prison. Same thing, <laughs> okay? Same thing. Just kidding. Just kidding. I love the TBI students. Hey. They learned that if you put it in you when you don't need it, then when you do need it, it's there. Okay? Look, I joke a lot about going to prison, but I promise you I don't identify with that because God has turned my test and trial into a testimony. Okay? I'm not ashamed of it. When the, air, when the airplane separates from the terminal, it leaves everything and everyone behind. And when we separate ourselves unto God, we leave everything and everyone who ain't on the flight with us behind. Now, that doesn't mean that we stop being friends with our friends. That doesn't mean that we, our family stops being our family. All that means is that the people that aren't with us just didn't buy the ticket. Because being a Christian, going on a journey, letting God take you where he wants you to go, it's going to cost you something. There ain't nothing free in this world except salvation. And it's free to us, but it costs Jesus his life. Okay? Freedom ain't free. It costs something. Let me go back to my notes. 
Amen. But yeah, call the fire department. It just simply means they didn't buy a ticket because in order to go where you're going, it's going to cost you something, okay? That's why, like our brother John said, and I don't know if you women can ever hear him. I love when he prays because he has this deep, resounding voice. And it just, when he prays, it makes me think of Moses when he's praying, you know, just, just real deep. And I'm sure y'all can hear him in the women's group. But like he said, the higher you go in your walk with Christian, as a Christian, and the closer you get to God, the smaller your circle becomes. The smaller your confidants become. The smaller it, the people that you trust become. And it's not that nobody is, that, that you're better than anybody. It's just because they ain't bought the ticket to go where you're going. Because the closer you get to God, the smaller your circle gets. It'll cost you some friends, okay? It'll cost you some family. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you sleep. The words ain't going to write themselves in your mind unless you read them. And while you're putting in the work, be careful not to get the Elijah attitude. While you're putting in the work and studying and praying, and you flip on Facebook and all your friends are out having a good time, it's going to cost you something. Because if it was free, it wouldn't mean anything to you. Has anybody ever given you a car or something, and you're like, oh, you know, you have no emotional tie with it unless you went and bought it yourself, and the first thing you say, don't you dare get in this car with dirty feet. And you start parking way out the back end of Walmart, right? Come on. Am I the only one that does that, really? Or you get a brand new car, and this big old flappy-eared dog runs up out of the bayou and jumps right into your truck. <laughs> True story. That actually happened to Eric. And, and he's got uh, light-colored interiors. So that would have been a test of, okay, am I a Christian <laughs> or am I not? Because remember, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth flows. Amen? If it doesn't cost you anything, it won't mean nothing to you. Now look, now there's three things specifically I want to talk about real quick. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16. this real quick before I move to my next point. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the lust of the flesh is what you feel like doing. It's, in other words, never denying yourself any pleasure. It's always what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it regardless of how it affects people around you or your family. You know, I, there was a time in my life where I hated my job, and I wanted to quit. Even though it paid well, the benefits were great, but I just hated the drive. And I, I was so angry, and I wanted to quit, but I couldn't because I knew I would lose my insurance. And it wasn't a, a bad thing. It turned out now things are better there now than they've ever been. But it's not always about you. You've got, you've got to see what you got to let it, it's going to affect your entire family. If you want something, you get it. We have to separate from the lust of the flesh because what happens is when you never deny yourself things, it starts to corrupt your insides, starts to corrupt your body because we allow things to come into our eyes that will corrupt our hearts. And, here, and that's the next point, the lust of the eyes. Your eyes will tell you that you can have what your heart knows is wrong. I love the idea of social media, but one thing I really dislike is it allows us to view things that we know is wrong from our bedroom at night when no one is watching. But I promise you, we're not going to go into details like we did in men's group, we'll keep it clean, but I promise you that no matter where you're at, bathroom, hallway, kitchen, whatever you're doing, God knows what you're doing. He knows what you're looking at. So I challenge you to consider what you're watching on Instagram and Facebook. I challenge you to pay attention to what you're watching. Just a little bit of leaven ruins the entire loaf. You watch a little bit of soft porn every night, it'll ruin you. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you. The other one is the pride of life. What is pride? Pride is a feeling. It's a pleasure or a satisfaction that comes from your own achievements. And when I think about pride, I always think about um, Satan that he was so prideful 
in heaven that he tried to take God's throne. He got a little bit of authority. He was a chief musician, and all of a sudden he wanted to do the whole thing. The pride comes before a fall. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. And we, it's easy to get puffed up when you feel like you're the only one doing anything. But I promise you, you don't, what we don't see and we never give credit to is the people at home that are always on their knees praying for the well-being of you. Those are the ones conducting warfare. It's hard to fall. I saw a sign at Mardell. Yes, I sat there. It's hard to, it's hard to fall when you're on your knees. And I, what I've learned is my greatest battles have been fought in prayer and not with my hands. So we have to separate from the world. We have to separate from God. We have to get to another level. We have to separate what we feel in the flesh. We have to separate what we see with our eyes. And we have to separate with our desires that are from us. Okay, and I'm out of notes, so we're just going to let the Spirit run this morning. Amen. The, the other part of this uh, airplane is it's called a holding pattern. Okay, when you get off the terminal, you get out there, and it's right before you get on the runway. And you're just kind of taxiing out. You know, you're getting ready. You're doing your last final checks, making sure everything, your flappers work, and you're just getting ready. And you're in a holding pattern. And sometimes, as men and women of God, right before we get ready to launch off, we go into a holding pattern, okay? We, we ain't where we was, but we haven't quite gotten where we're going. So we're just kind of in a waiting period. And that goes back to what kind of waiting are you doing? Are you waiting, eating bonbons and married with children? Or are you waiting, serving and expecting things from God, okay? And then while, <clears throat> once we're done with the holding pattern, what happens? We, the pilot gets a call from flight towers. Okay, now you're free to get on the runway. Then we go, we get our direction from God, and we go and we get on the runway, and we get ready to launch, okay? And from the time that we start on the runway and we hit the gas, we don't slow down until we've gotten airborne and we're at cruising altitude. Okay, so when you're in ministry and when you're in your walk and you're, and you're starting off, don't let up. Because everything that's going to attack you is coming against you. And there's a level out there on this uh, runway that these pilots know as they're flying and they're cruising and they're cruising and they're getting to a certain point and they see this marker that says, okay, you're now at the point where you have to, one, commit to the takeoff or two, you have to abort and go back into a holding pattern. And more often than not, we end up, we don't launch, and we go back into the holding pattern. And we stay in this pattern over and over and over. We always get to that one goal, and we stop. We always get to this certain level that we're comfortable with in our walk with Christ, and then we stop. We never push beyond what God has called us to push and go towards. There's a place in your walk right now that you know is a barrier, that you know is a mile marker, that when you hit that certain point, you know it's time to launch. You know it's time to take off. Wheels up. We're gone. There's no turning back. Okay? Once you, you, once you fly it off, you fly it off. The, or you can abort. And everybody in here, including myself, has that in their life right now. You have this sickness, this illness you're fighting with. To either believe for healing or accept what you've got. There's a marker there on your job. You don't, you know, don't limit yourself to what your abilities are. We do that as Christians. We, we limit ourselves to our abilities and our finances. When God says, hey, follow me, there's no limits with serving God. The limits that we have, we put on ourselves. Because with God, there ain't no limits. I've got a ninth grade education. And I, I have a, a wonderful job. I have a, a healthy income. Got insurance for my family. We have a new home. And this, hey, glory to God because I didn't do any of that. And it was, and that happened by not letting off the gas. Now, the other thing I want you to focus on, as soon as you get on that runway, Gabe, and you hit that gas, the wind starts pushing against you. And you're flying, and you're going. And the harder you, faster you fly down that runway, the stronger the wind comes against you. And the harder you fly as a Christian to get to take off, the harder the adversity is going to come against you. Because the wind is designed to keep the plane on the ground. Right? 
So right at takeoff, right when you get ready, the wheels up, you're gone. The, the winds and the rain and everything that's hitting the airplane will be its hardest. It's always at takeoff because it won't get no harder. Okay? So, and, and when you're walking with Christ and you feel like you're about to level up and you can start seeing these patterns that you know, okay, here comes all this adversity. All of a sudden, you know, work is acting up. Your kids are acting up. Everybody's wanting to disrespect you. Everybody's, you know, cutting you off in the line at Walmart. Just all this crazy stuff is coming against you. That's not the time to quit. <clears throat> That's not the time to throw in the towel. That's the time. Right when they take off, they give it that last bit of power. And it flies off. And what we need to understand is the fuel that is in the plane is greater than the wind that's pushing against it. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? We got to launch off with that. We can't. It, it gets even better. We're running out of time, but it gets even better because the very thing that was trying to keep the plane down is the very thing that's going to launch it into the air. Amen? Come on. Praise God for that. Hey, the very person that is getting under your skin and causing you all this problem are going to be the very people that God uses to take you to that next level. Amen? Amen. Sorry, I'm not as long-winded as pastor. Now, once we get up there, we've all seen those commercials that says, you are now free to move about the cabin, right? Our purpose, once we launch and once we get up to that cruising altitude, is we want to get up there and we get to this place where it's comfortable, where we can say, okay, you know what? I'm going to stretch a little bit. I'm going to go and check on my passengers. I'm going to go check on my disciples. I'm going to see how they're doing. I'm going to see if they have any needs. We're going to come in. And the other thing that they do on a plane is you get fed. Don't think because God has launched you into ministry that you don't have to get fed anymore. You look at David. David was anointed king as a 13-year-old boy or a 16-year-old boy, but he didn't take the throne for 13 years. Just because you've been called to a ministry doesn't mean you're supposed to have it right that moment. But David was in separation because he was in preparation. You know, the, the, Satan didn't, God used the lions and the bears that came to attack David as preparation for when he went and killed Goliath. Because David was a slinger. He was like our secret service. The slingers were the bad boys. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like Daryl. Daryl knows everything. Knows everybody, knows where everything is. He's the only person I know that knows all the janitors and all the mayors in town. And they all love him the same. Hey. I ain't kidding. True story. It is what it is. But Daryl's in preparation because God has a, another level for you, Daryl. I promise you. You're in preparation. You keep preparing. And so as we're on this flight and we're getting there and we're cruising, right? And one thing about being on a flight is you've only got enough fuel on your plane to get you to your destination. So once you know you're getting close to where you're going to have to land, you start preparing to land. See, you're always preparing. See, I don't think that God ever intended for us to reach a certain destination and call it quits. Because why? Because as Christians, our destination is where? In heaven. So that means, to me, I'm constantly on a journey. I'm constantly fighting for what I know God is calling me to be. Now, just like the flight, you go from terminal to terminal. And as Christians, we go from level to level. Sometimes we pick people up. Sometimes we drop people off. Amen? But there's a you got to prepare to land. It's important. I don't want to get too fast. You have to prepare to land. Because you're here, you are. You're up here soaring. You're with God. Everything's perfect. You're free to move about the cabin. You're eating peanuts. You're getting free juice. Hunky-dory. La-la-la. Life is good. Okay. Two times you got to buckle up when you're on the plane. At takeoff and at landing. And why? You have to buckle when you land. Because as you're coming down, the same winds that were trying to keep you from taking flight are the same winds that's going to try to keep you from landing. 
So the same enemies and the same people that's trying to, to try to keep you from going into your ministry are going to try to keep you from getting there. So you buckle up because you don't know what's going on. And then pilots, they're in constant contact with the flight tower. What are the winds like? What is this person going to say, Lord? How is this person going to react? Sometimes when I prepare messages for men's group, I anticipate what Brother John is going to say or Charlie's going to say. And I do that so I can have an answer. You know what I'm saying? You got to know, because they're going to come against you. Not that they're coming against me in that sense, but you have to be prepared. Separation is preparation. So when you get ready to land, you got to buckle up. Okay? And as you land, you go in and you go and you hook right back up to the terminal. And what happens at the terminal? Refuel? Resupply? Okay. You know what, Daryl? You've had a bad attitude this whole flight. You're done. You're staying here in Pennsylvania. We're going to Delaware, okay? Come on, Eric. You're going with me. Get on Delaware. And that's what happens. Not that we ab- abandon people, but some, not everybody's meant to go. Grab that, Daryl. You know what I'm saying? You drop people off and you pick people up. You refuel. You resupply. And I look at that sometimes as coming back to church. Because this is where we get fed. This is where we get built up. This is where we get excited about Christ. We come into worship. We listen. We praise God. And, you know, I've been doing the study on spiritual harvest. And one thing that I, I studied that really hit home to me is they come, you come in. Because we're all Christians. We're all believers. We come in. And we come in here and we hear the word of God and we sharpen our sickle, right? The harvest is ready, the workers are few. And we sharpen our sickle and then we go home. Then we come back the next week and we sharpen our sickle, right? We should come in week after week sharpening our sickle. Month after month sharpening our sickle. Year after year, before you know it, you wasted a whole lifetime sharpening your sickles and you don't even use them. They're, the tools that God gives you is meant to be used. The landing gear that is on that plane is meant to help you get down safely. And when you reconnect to the building, you're going in and you're resupplying on God's word. You're resupplying on fellowship. You're resupplying on not just the things that you're receiving, but there's things that you got to give out when you get there.